1: Ahoy, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. You are listening to the Friday follow-up for Season 14, The Reply Brief. The last few weeks, we had a lot of discussion surrounding the letters written by Asia McLean and the prosecutor's coverage of these letters. And this week, we got what we all looked for, Asia's reply. Today, as usual, I'm joined by Bob and Janet, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what these two have to say about this. And I might have a few thoughts of my own. But before we get into that discussion, do we have any housekeeping?
2: Yeah, so real quick, kind of a big thing, and this really kind of only affects the patrons or any any uh, people who are maybe thinking about being patrons. Well, two things. One, an apology. So because of thing two, I messed up thing one today, and we had some audio issues. So what I'm getting at is if you like to watch the behind-the-scenes hour-long pre-show video every Friday, you're not going to today. And that's because I forgot to hit the record button on the video. The second time we started, we started once and the audio was all messed up. And then we started again. And then I figured out at the very end that I had never hit record on that. So that's the bad news. The good news is part of the confusion was we get maybe 10% of the people that are able to watch that do watch our behind the scenes videos every Friday. And and I've had people say like, oh, I just don't want to watch videos. I can't, you know, I'm not never in a place where I can have a video going. And so it occurred to me that What we could do to give you guys some extra content and also help fill your week is we are now, from this point forward, going to start audio recording our hour-long pre-show. And I'm going to publish those on Wednesday mornings. So you can listen to the audio version of our hour-long pre-show every Wednesday. And for those of you that don't watch the videos now and don't know what you're getting into, there is nothing you need to hear in those. Let me explain that. So... What we do every week is for an hour before the follow-up starts, Zach and Janet and I never get a time to sit down and talk. So that is our weekly chat session. So the three of us sit down and we just talk about whatever, not about the case, not about true crime, not about anything in particular, just about our lives. We goof around. We joke around. I would say it borders more on a, a conversational comedy show than a true crime show. So if that's not something you're just just if you see if you're on Patreon and you see that come up in your audio feed on Wednesdays and that sounds terrible to you, just ignore it. But we've, we've got in there for for the people that, that do want to hear it and are interested in that and just want something fun. It's just kind of a lighten the mood type of thing in the middle of the week. That'll be dropping on Wednesdays. So now for our Patreon, our patrons, what you'll have, you have the main episode on Sunday on Wednesdays. We're going to we're going to call that show, which is literally it's just we just slapped a name on a thing we're already doing. We're going to call that show pre-gaming. Janet loves it. She came up with the name and the nope, logo. Nope, Did I come up with yeah. it? <laughs> also, um, you called it pre-game, not pre-gaming. I, I think on the logo I sent Janet, it says pre-gaming, I
1: think. I think
3: it just but that's pre-game. what we're doing.
2: That's what we're doing. We're pre-gaming. Great. So Monday, you get the main episode. Wednesdays, the patrons will get the pre-gaming show, which is an hour of nonsense. And then on, damn, pre-game. That's right. called pre-game. And then on Friday you'll get the normal Friday follow up episodes, and also on Friday you get the full video version of the entire full two hours that we do for the follow up, which is the hour pregame show and then the hour long actual follow up. You get the behind the scenes of all of that. So in the video version, Friday. So so want to let you guys know that that all that stuff's coming up. So now you'll have three. If you're if you're on Patreon, you'll have three audio. Podcasts coming out every week on Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday now. You'll still get your Friday one, except this week, because (laughs) I forgot to hit record. You'll still get it. You'll still get the video version of the behind the scenes, but you just won't have the video version of the follow-up content. Also, last uh, housekeeping thing about that before we get back into the serious part of the show is that will be completely unedited. And I mean completely. My intention is just to... Take it, run it through a sound leveler, and put it out there. No frills, no nothing. You're going to hear breath noises and clicks and all kinds of whatever. Whatever's in there is in there. We're just going to drop it for you guys to hear it, so it's very uncut. And with that, I don't think – oh, any other other housekeeping that's actually relevant to the main part of the show is our holiday schedule. We will be off the week of Christmas from all shows for that week. And so that is – we have the main episode that's going to drop in two days on Sunday. And then we'll have the follow-up this week on Friday. And then that will be it until the main episode that will be on I think the 30th, whatever day that, whatever Sunday that is in January. So there'll be no main episode on Christmas Eve, and there will be no follow up that following Friday. There will be a main episode. It's just one week off that we'll have out there. So just to let you guys know all of that. So everybody, if you if you celebrate or however you celebrate with your family, for those of you that do, just take some time for your family. That's what we intend on doing. And uh, we'll be back after that. So that's the schedule coming up. That's the big announcement for patrons. And with that, I think we can get right into the content for this week, which was all about Asia. I I love this episode. I love Asia. I think I, I love the fact that she has been so open to expi- it's such a contrast. I'm going to do my best not to get real angry in this one. But she is such a contrast to the people that were talking about her and accusing her in the fact that she did and has always been willing to open herself up she's never asked for what list of questions here's the things you can't talk about none of that i said hey do you want to come on and and give your side of the story yep and we sat down and then you heard the whole thing uncut and i just i really i really respect the hell out of asia and appreciate her coming on and so i love that she got the opportunity to speak for herself on that And Usually it's me and Zach going back and forth for a while. We'll start this week with, Janet, what did you think?
3: It was a good reminder, I think, for all of us. You are constantly making this clear, and I think I do feel very happy in being a part of this particular community because I think it is full of people who are constantly very aware, sometimes painfully aware, that these are real people and real events and real impacts that are being made by certain podcasts and by discussions and by social media and all that kind of stuff. And I think when you are making a podcast where you're talking about old cases and weighing in with opinions on present tense stuff and talking about, again, talking about more maybe light things and then you dive into a podcast where you are talking about something that has a very real impact on a person's life right now and, in fact, multiple people's lives – You sort of get chatty about, like, oh, this person's lying. Oh, this is 100% what happened. Like, oh, come on. Like, we're just talking about a thing together. We're just two friends talking about something. And I think people slip into that. I'm not saying, whether or not that was the intention, I think it's really powerful to have Asia say, hi, over here. I'm the person you're talking about. I'm living right now. I'm walking around on this earth, and you are telling everyone that I am a liar, and that matters. It's not just a gossipy chat about theories about a case. And we all need to be reminded of that. But this is a very powerful message. And I thought it was great. And I feel exactly the same way about Asia as you do.
2: Yeah, I agree. And, and to your point, the big thing about this is, too, is there's no evidence to support it. It's merely opinion when these people are going to this large audience and saying, she's, because, of course, you know what I get back is, well, you've said that so-and-so is lying on you know on this case or so-and-so is lying on that case. And what I try to do, and I'm, I'm sur- sure I've never always been perfect about it, but what I try to do is if I say for fact that someone is lying, it's because for a fact they are, meaning like, well, they said this to this person and they said the opposite to this person. Both of those can't be true. They're lying to one of them. Or, you know, they said they were in town all night, but we can see their cell phone is moving somewhere else. We know they're lying. In this case, it's just she's lying. That's 100% what happened. And beyond lying, as I pointed out in the episode multiple times, is that, you know, she has written several sworn affidavits and testified under oath to these things. So what they told the world she did was committed perjury on multiple occasions on top of lying.
1: Asia's a badass. That's what I see. First and foremost, that's the first thing I see is Asia is a badass. And it seems to be that, in my opinion, from everything I've seen as an outsider, I mean, she seems to be telling the truth or her truth. Her story doesn't seem to waver. It's always the same, which yep. is big. You know, if you're telling the truth, you don't have to think of things. You don't, you know, you don't have to worry about it because you know what really happened. And that, that's big for me. And, I, I, you know, there was a big point in this episode that I caught something that I, I don't know if it's been brought up or I for sure haven't heard it yet. Is the idea that, you know, they they brought up this big idea of her getting the address wrong mm-hmm. when she sent Adnan on this letter. But then the, you, you you said it and she said it, that it was in a newspaper or some kind of press, yeah. that the address was the was wrong. Mm-hmm. And she sent it to that address. Right. That's the first I've heard. Why would they not talk about that at all? Well,
2: why did they not talk about a lot of things? Like, why do they not talk about Juwan Gordon's affidavit? You know, we didn't really get into or we talked to touch on a little bit yeah, last, last week. week yeah. It was interesting about this timing wise is the, the episode for the patrons I'm doing right now on part 12. They again circle back and are hammering on Asia again. But there's overlap there, so when they were making their episode 12, I had already started the reply brief, and they were already getting pushback about this issue. Okay. About jo- so so they bring up in their part 12, oh well, some people said we didn't discuss this affidavit, and we get into that in this this week's episode that they address it now. The way they do it is, I'm not thrilled with the way they did that either. And also in that part, so for your patrons on Sunday, they uh, they get into her testimony at the PCR hearing and and completely misrepresent how that went. So there's a lot of that, but they just they what you find in the series is Brett now they want to circle back and hammer on to things that they think can shake you. Right. So so here's the thing with Asia. First of all, what upset me about Asia is that they accused her of lying. They accused her of perjury. But the reality is for the case, Asia doesn't actually matter. The only reason we thought Asia mattered was because the state in their closing argument said that Jay called Adnan to pick him up at 236. And then Serial, Sarah Koenig, reported that, which was accurate. That's what they said. But she also presented that as fact. So it was like, well, if he supposedly had already killed her and was and was calling Jay at 236 and Asia says that he was in the library with her till 240, she's the alibi. Well, now we know that there's no possible way for it to have been 236. There's really no possible way for it to have been 315 either, but that's beside the point. But even if it's 315, well, now if... Adnan was with Asia until 2:40. That doesn't clear him. We, you have to be honest about every single element of this case. And the truth is, Asia is not an alibi for Adnan. Him being with her until 2:40 does not prove that he couldn't have killed Hay, because Hay was was reported as being seen in the school past 2:45 up till almost three o'clock. So it doesn't alibi him. So whether or not, because because the question becomes, one, did she lie? And then there's this huge you know, nonsense about Adnan writing the letter. And then two, if she's telling the truth, does she have the right day? My feelings are she's 100% telling her truth is the way you put it. I think that's a mm-hmm. good way to put it. She believes that day she saw Adnan was the 13th. And she very well may be right about that. So the question is, did she have the right day? And and I think probably. She has some anchors. We didn't really get into it. But she ended up getting stuck at her boyfriend's for a couple of days because the ice storm came in that night. There's some question about that. Is the only reason I say... She probably has the right day, and that's because the storm didn't come in until like two o'clock in the morning. So, you know, people have pointed that out. It's a fair argument. It could be that, you know, she was getting ready to come home for curfew at midnight and her mom was like, there's a storm coming. Just stay there. That could be the way it happened. Or it could just be she's mixed up on the days. I don't know.
3: Well, wait, then what day would it have been?
2: And that's the thing. There's not. I don't think there's another another day day. that that fits. Yeah. So most likely she has the right day, but also whether she does or not isn't instrumental to figuring out what happened in this case because she believes she saw Adnan at a time where she could have seen Adnan and then he still could have killed Hay. the the more important alibi witnesses are Becky who saw Hay and Adnan together after school around 245 where, where Adnan goes up to her and she says hey something came up I can't give you that ride and he says okay I'll just get one somebody else and they walk away in different directions and then after that Debbie seeing him in the guidance counselor's office, and then later seeing Hay up at the front of the school and Inez seeing Hay later. And then most importantly, Coach Sai saying that Adnan was at time was at track practice on time. Like those are his alibis. Mm-hmm. Asia's really not an alibi.
3: Yeah. For the purposes of this, I mean Jennifer in the chat points out, yes, we all agree that for the trial and for the discussions and appeals that happened afterwards, she is very important because you can't just tell an entire story about something that happened, citing specific times that things were happening, like calling someone and saying, please come and get me. I'm testifying that this person had already killed someone at this point, And then just flip that around because it's more convenient. Like, that's why you have the conversations and judges are saying, yes, this matters. But for the purposes of this discussion, that's a broad discussion of did he do it at all under any circumstances? She becomes less important.
2: Yeah, in, in a practical way of looking at it, it doesn't matter. But yeah, absolutely, for the appeals, it does. But and, and the reason it failed on appeal was because of the wiggle room in the time, because you have two things that, that the defense was fighting against. So you have the fact that Jay testified that the call didn't happen until after 3.40. Jen testified the same thing. But then the prosecution in closing said it happened at 2.36, so the argument from the state is, well, fine, then we won't use the 336 call. We'll use 315 call. We can move, you know, we can move it back. It never should have been allowed at trial. They, I don't think they should have been able, been allowed to fudge that number and just get, basically they presented false information in the closing. When they said that the come get me hop in 236, there was no, there's no evidence to
1: support that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting, too, when she talked about the, the idea that, that she was never talked to. And yeah. she's like, well, how do they even know what I have to say? Like, they don't even know if they can use me or not because they never talk to me, period.
2: Right. She said that she always assumed that the time that she could account for didn't matter mm-hmm. because she wrote the letters. Nobody ever called her. So she's like, oh, well, must not have met Because she didn't know when Hay was killed. So she's like, well, I guess it didn't matter. And then she went on about her life until, yes. you know, somebody came knocking on her door.
3: And I would say the other thing that matters, again, not about whether or not Edmond committed this act, but in a way that tells us an awful lot about the standards and practices of the attorneys involved is everything we find out about Yurik afterwards. Right. That's really important information to know about a person who was instrumental in the incarceration of someone that we believe is innocent. So I'm glad in a way that all of this happened the way it did, because quite honestly, it just makes Yurik look even worse.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was terrible. I mean, inconscionable what he did. And I don't want to go too far because I know there's questions about this. So we should probably get into the questions at this point. Sure.
3: Well, the first thing I wanted to touch on is if you recall last week in the follow up, we had a question about Jay's description of hay in the trunk and the blue color that was in question. And you had mentioned that that didn't really necessarily match your experience working as a firefighter and being in situations in which you would find and see uh, people who had passed away and so I don't know if you had a chance to check in on that further but we also had a comment from Rosalind about that and, and her own experience as a nurse of 28 years and having seen many deceased people.
2: Yeah I saw that and and so I'll share what I what I looked up and then if you want to share what what sure. Rosalind put in there or I can summarize it real quick because I, I read that too but mm-hmm. yeah so I I looked it up and according to the textbooks and the internet, It takes a couple of hours before you'll start seeing like a blue haze on a person's body. like generally like fingernails, lips, things like that. And then that begins to fade pretty quickly after that as lividity and stuff starts to settle in. But then Rosalind, she pointed out that in, in all of her years as a nurse dealing with lots of deceased people that generally deceased people don't turn blue. Like people will turn blue when they're having a lack of oxygen before they die. But once they're dead, the circulation stops. You know, she said, you usually don't see that. But what I found even more intriguing that I never thought about was she said that in people of color, when they pass away and shortly thereafter, not only do you not get a blue tint, but you get almost a yellow tint as the, you know, the blood is draining out of them because they're, you know, going down to the lowest point because they're, you know, their heart's no longer pumping. And I hadn't really occurred to me before until she said that she said, but hey, was a person of color. So, you know, what she was saying in a nutshell was she doesn't believe there's any way that Hay would have looked blue at all.
0: Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Go to shopify.com slash boom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash boom. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over
4: the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumbacasino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play
0: for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the
4: chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW, void, prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: Selling a little <coughs> or a lot. <coughs> Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash audioboom
4: lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess Aha, in my dentist's office
3: Kathy says, uh, do you know if Asia can or will sue the prosecutors for defamation of character? And this is a really interesting conversation. This has come up a lot, even just since we started talking about Asia most recently. There have been a lot of questions around that. What are your rights if someone calls you something and would love to hear your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah. So actually, Asia, we talked quite a bit about it afterwards because she did want to sue them and has every right to do so. The problem that Asia ran into was that because she wrote a book and she's considered like a public figure, she feels in the, I don't want to put, I'll just say this after consulting with an attorney, she feels that even as a public figure, what they did meets the criteria for defamation, but the cost for the type of lawyer she would need to sue them was was pretty high. And she she just ultimately... I I don't know what she decided at that point when I was discussing it with her. She was like, I just I don't know if I she can justify spending that much money on an attorney, but but it sucks because people like people should be held accountable. There's so many people in this case, both in the actual involved in the actual case, guys like Kevin Urick, all the way up to these prosecutors that just have no accountability and it's frustrating and everybody wants to get the accountability. And that was kind of a way she thought that they could get some accountability, but ultimately decided that it just Again, I don't want to say she ultimately decided last we discussed it. It was just like it was just too much money to do. But yeah, after consulting with an attorney, she feels that it absolutely meets the definition of, of defamation.
3: OK, Linda says, I hope Asia listens to the follow up episode. I want her to know how much I admire and respect her. I truly dislike the way she is treated on social media. Her ability to deal with the unkindness directed at her with common sense and poetic language is an example for all of us.
2: Yeah, I 100 percent agree. Yeah. And, and I want to touch on too. So Chris in the in the YouTube chat says, wouldn't Asia know she was relevant when she gave the affidavit to Rabia? It's kind of the, the same type of thing where it's so right after Adnan's arrested, she writes these letters, never hears anything, forgets all about it. A year later, he's tried. He gets convicted. And then Rabia comes to her and says, can you give me an affidavit for this? So, so I think at that point, again, she thought like, OK, well, maybe it is important. The trial's over. And then that's the last she hears about it for another 14 years. Or not 14, but it was it was a number of years before the first appeal came up, the first time they came to her and wanted her to testify. And that's when she called and spoke with Kevin Urich and all of that happened. So yeah, I think there were these moments where she thought she was relevant, but then nobody ever followed up with her.
3: Got it. Lucy says, I believe Asia 100%. I believe Adnan is innocent. I have two clarifying questions. Now, the first clarifying question we've kind of already touched on. She was wondering how Asia was sure she had the correct day. So we've talked about those anchors. And then two, and we may have touched on this in a past episode, I don't think we've talked about it. If Asia's boyfriend saw Adnan too, why have they not called him as an alibi witness?
2: I, I don't think we've touched on that one yet. So in Asia's letters, she said, so after Adnan was arrested, she talked to her boyfriend and was like, do you remember that, that that guy when you could, because apparently there was like an issue, like her boyfriend was mad at her because he came in and, and she was sitting there talking to this other guy. And so there, like, it was a thing that was kind of c- cemented in the, for them. And so when he got arrested, she says that she asked him and he was like, yeah. And his friend that was with him, all three of them said, yeah, yeah, I remember that. And she's like, well, he got arrested for murder like that day that he was there. But then nobody ever contacted them until I think Sarah Koenig did on serial 15 years later. And at that point when they were like, do you remember Asia seeing that guy in the library? At that point, he was like, I don't remember. I I couldn't tell you for sure. So that was the, the end of that. It just comes down to him not being asked at the time.
3: Byrne says, maybe I missed it, but did Asia explain why one of the letters was typewritten?
2: I think the first we got the explanation from that was at the PCR hearing in 2016 where that came up. And she said she actually started writing the letter by hand while she was at school and was like in class. Like she kind of like wrote it throughout the day because there was she said there was all kinds of like information coming in, like people you know, there were rumors flying and people saying that they heard this and they heard that and she was talking to people. So she had like, she started writing it kind of throughout the day. And then when she got home, she was, you know, I think she wanted to change something or she was adding to it. When she got home, she said she actually like just jumped on the computer and just typed it all out, everything that she had through the day. So that's what she said at the PCR here. And
1: honestly, it makes sense if you go back and and read it or listen to it because it is, it is kind of jumping around. So it makes sense that she wrote it throughout the day. And Brett Nails talk about it, but it sounds like a diary entry, which is why it would sound like a diary entry if she Mm -hmm. wrote it throughout the day. Yeah, 100%.
3: Kristen says, I'm wondering if there were any cameras at the school back then. Also, if Inez had the wrong day and Hay wasn't parked in the circle with her car running, where would she have been parked? And Kristen had another post about something we covered last week as well, which is just, again, people just trying to make sense of various timelines, knowing that it's a tight period of time. It's just a tight period of time from... When she was allegedly seen and when she was meant to pick up her cousin. But I do feel like we went into a lot of detail about that last week. So maybe this is Kristen kind of following up on that. So she's just trying to kind of understand could it have been possible for her to leave the school earlier than anyone remembers because people are remembering the wrong day in order for there to be more time before she was supposed to pick up her cousin.
2: Yeah. So as the, to the cameras, I don't. I know there were cameras in the library. I don't know. I can. I assume there were cameras in the school. I don't know. But the problem was, to be honest with you, I hope there was no cameras at the school. Because the library didn't come up as a place that should have been checked until the Asia letters came out in beginning of March. And by then it was too late. The tapes had all been recorded over. But I would hope that if there were cameras in the school and Hay went missing, that Adcock would have right away went and tried to pull that footage to see if they could see who she left with. Admittedly, that's kind of hindsight too, because you know we know that she was murdered at that point. They just, like I said, everybody thought she was off with Don somewhere. So nobody was thinking that someone like abducted her from school, but uh, we do have Grayson in the YouTube chat who used to work at Woodlawn. And he said, he doesn't believe they had cameras at the school, but maybe truthfully, hopefully not. Cause I would have liked to, I would, I would hope that they would have looked for them as far as the timing. I don't know, you have you have Debbie, Becky, and Inez that all say they saw Hay like between two forty-five and three, which would have been about the time that she would have been leaving to go get her cousin somewhere around there by three for sure if she's supposed to be there by three fifteen. So that those seem pretty solid. I don't think she probably left too much before that. But at the same time that as you referenced Janet, the discussion we had last week, we don't know that she absolutely had to be at the early learning center. At exactly three fifteen, or if she could have showed up anytime before five o'clock, and that would have not been an issue. We just we don't that that's something that is really I don't think ever been discussed or brought up before our discussion about it last week, and I don't know the answer to that.
3: Well, I know there was a post, um, there was a reply to the question about the timeline in the follow up, but I didn't cite it because it's one of those things where sometimes people weigh in with conversation about the questions that are being asked, rather than the questions just being asked to you. So I'm not sure if it's correct or not, but someone had said that the Campfield Early Learning Center had called Hayes family at like 3.30 or something to say, you know, this kiddo is still here. So that would potentially suggest that it was, you know, standing out as, oh, wow, this person hasn't been picked up yet. And, and that's unusual. But I don't like I said, I don't I'm, I don't know that information to be true, like off the top of my head.
2: Yeah, I, I don't recall ever seeing that, but we can... Zach, if you don't mind, as we move through these, if you go to the website and the case docs, look up Adcock missing person report, and, and he's got all his notes in there, and see if he wrote in there that he had... when they got a call from the learning, Early Learning Center. All I recall seeing from that is that Young had said that she was supposed to pick up her cousin at 3, 3.15. It'll be in season 14.
3: Okay. Tara and uh, Katie... Both are wondering if Kevin Yorick did ever face any consequences for completely lying about what Asia said. With the amount of exposure serial received, it seems like something should have come of that revelation.
2: Nope, nothing. He's never faced any consequences for anything. And, of course, he says Asia's lying, that what he said on the stand about his conversation with Asia, he maintains that's what she actually said. And, of course, she says that's absolutely not true.
3: And the Baltimore District Attorney's Office did chastise him publicly in a sense, right, when it would seem that he fabricated evidence about a different piece of all of this that came up more recently, right? Didn't he present something and say, see, I was talking about this other thing, and didn't the DA's office say, no, he absolutely is making that up, that's not real, but that's like just sort of a public shaming, I guess. It's not like it affected his career.
2: Right, and that's in regards to part of Adnan's conviction being overturned, one of the Brady violations that was cited by the prosecutor. Now we don't, you know, the letters or the notes are redacted, but they found in the prosecution file that someone had called Uric and he took down the notes that that person said that this person had threatened to kill Hay. I I don't remember the exact verbiage of it, but essentially they threatened to kill Hay and it's redacted. So we can't see who it's about. Uric went on record saying, I was talking about Adnan. That person called and said that Adnan had threatened to kill Hay. And the DA was like, no, that's not true. Because they can see the whole thing. They said that that's not true. And then um, Adnan, in his press conference he did a couple months ago, revealed then that they actually know who it was. And sounds like they have an affidavit from the person who made that call. So it seems like he's absolutely lying about that, too. Although Brett and Alice in their podcast... They also can tell from context that they were talking that that Yurik was talking about Adnan It's very clear, even though the D.A. and the judge that have actually seen the entire file both agreed it was a Brady violation, that it was not about Adnan. And again, Adnan's legal defense team sounds like has the affid- have an affidavit from the person who actually made that call. And also, just for logic's sake, imagine Yurik had someone who called and said that Adnan had threatened to kill Hay and then didn't use it at trial seems legit
3: that doesn't make any sense Kay says uh, through this whole process Kay says i'm becoming more convinced that jury trials are an antiquated and inadequate way of putting guilty people behind bars and keeping innocent people out of prison trials are all about spin which side can spin the most believable story look at how much gaslighting the people we've been listening to have been doing and look at how successful it's been Jim Clemente once said that trials by jury are flawed and that we should instead have panels of experts who weigh in on actual evidence and decide on guilt or innocence. No spin, no emotions, just facts. I'm curious to know what you guys think about jury trials given the advancements in technology since the 17th century when they first began. Should they get the boot? If not, how would you like them to, to see them be improved? So big picture question, but I think one that it probably is on a lot of people's minds when we visit cases like this.
2: Yeah, I agree with Jim in the fact that I've been saying for years, too, like our our system is flawed. The jury system is flawed. The idea that, you know, we've had so many wrongful convictions where people tell us that they thought the person was innocent, but they were, you know, they were the holdout. And because of pressure put on them or the judge dynamiting the jury and making them stay there until they come up with a verdict, they finally just, without actually believing the person is guilty, cave in to saying they're guilty. So the jury system has flaws. The jury selection system has flaws like the way that you know that the the two sides are able to cherry pick out a jury to that's going to be rather than be aware an objective way of the facts instead they're trying to find somebody that might be sympathetic to their point of view is a problem and then yeah the, the way even brett and alice have said this on their show before that the way they always put it is the best story wins that's how trials go i've put it differently but i've been saying that for years too from i've you know i've read lots and lots and lots of trial transcripts you get Days and days and sometimes weeks and weeks and weeks of testimony. And if you've ever sat through testimony, like it goes on, you know, you guys hear me a lot of times like breaking down a full day's worth of testimony in 35 minutes. That's because there's 35 minutes of interesting parts of it. The rest of it is not interesting at all. And people tune out and they forget things. And then when it's all done, it's those closing arguments. Who can spin the best story in closing arguments? And the fact that they're allowed, the prosecution and defense are allowed to literally make up a story and if they miss like if they say and he called him at 236 even if you object and say that's you know facts not an evidence the judge will always overrule it and say the the jury knows that closing arguments aren't evidence yeah they know that they've been told that but what they're listening for is tell me a story that makes sense and whoever can tell the best story so it is flawed the problem is that you have The idea of like just having experts weigh in is there's like I I don't know the solution because the problem is we're dealing with human beings. And and so there's always an open door for corruption always. Right. So so on paper, our system should work perfectly. Right. So the the police do the investigating and then they just pass that case on to the prosecutor. The prosecution takes their investigation and they put and they give 100 percent of it over to the defense and everybody's just out for justice. That's how it looks on paper. But in reality, in most cases, the police force that's doing the investigating and the prosecution are a hundred percent working together. Most of the state's experts are all people that all work together in the same, you know, they're all working together to get a conviction and it creates a problem. We have that. We have this, you know, in the whole system is incentivized by, you know, how do you get reelected as DA? You close the most cases, you, you win the most death penalty trials, you know, that they want to win, 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 win. I doubt there are many prosecutors in particular that are out there that are like, you know, if I lose, that just means that, golly, gosh, darn it, we got the wrong guy and I'm glad justice was served. Nobody looks like that. They, they lose their job if they lose too many trials like that because the amount of money that they put into time and resources they put into taking somebody all the way to trial. So I wish I knew what the answer is, but I know that something needs to change. Our, I, I, I fully believe that our system is broken. And that is my long rant on it.
0: Selling a little or a lot. Go to shopify.com slash audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash audioboom.
4: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com.
0: It's my little escape.
4: Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
4: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs)
3: Danielle, I've been waiting to say exactly what you just said in the chat, which is essentially I can't wait to see how long it takes for us to suggest that AI start deciding the future of people who are being accused of a crime. Don't you feel like that's inevitable? Like with the conversations that are happening now, at some point, someone's going to be like, well, we should just let AI figure it out. Like that computer is totally impartial. They don't that thing doesn't have opinions. It's just taking information that already exists and synthesizing it and going, well, statistically, it's most likely that this is what happened or whatever. That doesn't make me feel that much better.
2: Yeah, that idea is exciting and terrifying all at the same time to me, because, again, like there's still a human element. There's still, you know. Could someone hack the system and who's control? you know, because AI gets its inputs from humans.
3: And what, how we design stuff. Self-driving cars are hitting people of color because no one realized that, oh gosh, d- it's a different kind of setting when it's not a white person walking across the street. I mean, that should scare the shit out of everybody.
2: Yeah. So Chris in the, in, the, in the chat asked, can you request a judge over a jury trial? You can, but that doesn't always work out either. That's what happened with Jesse Eldridge. For those of you that aren't familiar with our season three, Jesse's case, the case was garbage. There was no, there's literally the entire case was his brother claiming to have witnessed this murder, who has since recanted and admitted that he was lying because he was lied to by the police and threatened. But even even that with the story, there was there was conflicts. There were there was like no way to prove this case. And so Jesse's attorney, what seemed like the right move at the time, I agree with the move on paper. Is well, I don't want some jury in here that. Are inexperienced, don't know what they're doing, and can be flawed by some spun story by the prosecutor. I want just a judge to just to hear the facts and weigh out whether there's reasonable doubt, and that's it. And so that seemed like the best thing, and it was a super short trial. I think it was only a couple days, or even a day. Now it's more, than, but it was very, very short trial. And then the judge convicted him, so that didn't work either.
3: Uh, yeah, I don't have a ton of faith in judges. Uh, all due respect, I'm sure I, I know many of them are wonderful, and but I. Uh... Go ahead, Doug.
1: I, I've I found a document that says the kindergarten staff called Heyman's uncle to notify him that the daughter has still not been picked up, but doesn't give a time. And then it says, and police were called at approximately 5 p.m. But I, I cannot find a time.
2: Because okay. so, a few people in the chat were saying that they thought that the call came at 3.30. But that what you just said is what I recall. They, they were notified... By the daycare, but I don't think it ever said when they called. So,
1: yeah, I haven't seen. I mean, I'll, I'll keep looking, but I have not seen. Is that in the
2: missing persons report?
1: That is in the ENI group report.
2: A NIHI group report. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. not in
1: the missing persons report at all.
2: Okay. So, in the, the NIHI group was the the private investigator firm that was helping out the, the family too. So, so, just piecing those together, and I know we're circling back to what we were talking about then, but thank you, Zach, for looking that up. But piecing that together, so they called and said she didn't pick him up at some time. And they called the police. Did you say five o'clock or five thirty? That's at five o'clock. At five o'clock. Yeah. So they could have called the school. Could have called them at five, and then they called the police right away because they they couldn't get a hold of her. It could have been four. You just There's no way to know for sure. But if that, but without a time on that, that again leads me to believe that there was a bigger window there for picking the kids up than than we originally thought. That 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 it wasn't like if she wasn't there at three because I I have a hard time imagining. That they get a call at 3.30 that says, you know, she didn't show up. What's going on? And then they wait an hour and a half before they they call the police. I know they called some friends, maybe two in there. But when Young called Adnan, it was like right before Adcock called him. So it sounds like Adcock was already there when he was making those calls. So Zach's still looking to see if there's anywhere where it's narrowed down to 3.30. But uh, what you just said is what I recall. That they, they were notified from a call from the daycare, but no time was given and they didn't call the police until five o'clock.
3: It's not that so much that I'm pushing back, but I will say we all understand that right now we are talking about opinion and we are and we are speculating. We don't have proof mm-hmm. of any of this. And so we're not saying, oh, it definitively means that there was this huge window that we didn't know about. We don't know that. And frankly, I could see a situation in which you find out at three thirty that that didn't happen. And at five, you call the police. I think that to me, again, because this is all just sort of opinion and speculation, to me, that would make sense. The idea of I'm trying not to panic. I'm trying to figure out some other reason that this could be happening and that, you know, by an hour and a half, you're like, I got nothing. There's no other reason I'm too yeah. panicked. I I might feel foolish for making this phone call later today. I hope I am. I hope I do feel foolish, but I waited as long as I could and that was till five. You know what I mean? So yeah. we're just talking about, yeah, choices and behavior and who knows.
2: Yeah. And so to be clear, what I what I'm, well, all I'm saying is. There is a possibility on the table that we have to consider that I don't think anyone has considered before. I'm not saying that's what happened. All we know is for sure is that by 5 o'clock, they knew it was a problem that she hadn't picked up her niece or cousin. Could that have been 3.30? Yes. Could it have been 4? Yes. But all we know based on the evidence we have is based on like what Grayson said, who, you know, who was familiar with the school up there and the other daycares that generally, you know, you just got to pick up your kid by five o'clock or six o'clock or whatever the time is. And we know that they didn't call the police till five. We don't know when the daycare called them. So we don't know for sure that she had to be there at 315. So that's that's all I'm saying is there's a wider range of possibility there. That's all it is. Is there something else to consider?
3: Is there any other I'm just asking to ask, but is there any other place that could be an evidence that we just aren't? thinking of or aren't aware of right now?
2: The only other thing I could think of would be Young Lee's trial testimony. But I just read and you may find it, but I just read through there recently when I was looking to see about the pickup time. And I don't recall him giving a time Like he didn't even give an exact time for the normal pickup. I think he said three or three 30 again or three or three fifteen again, something like that.
3: There's a comment from a fellow Janet. Janet, I don't meet a lot of Janet. So I want to welcome you into the YouTube chat. But also, hi, everyone else. But uh, Janet says the info for the 3.30 p.m. pickup time was given by, in fact, yes, Young Lee during his testimony.
2: Okay, so Zach's cruising through that right now. So we'll see if we can nail that down on the fly as we continue to move through these questions.
3: Right. And that's tough because it's a trial testimony and we've already seen information present differently at different times. It's a a
2: year later. Yeah.
3: I'm not accusing him of lying. Please, please don't at me. I am absolutely not accusing him of lying in any way, shape or form.
2: It's just hard to just remember, but, but, but Zach will look for that. We're already running pretty long, so let's try to zip through any questions that we have left.
3: Well, this will make you pleased, perhaps, then, because that's um, that's really all I have. I mean, there are a couple of other questions and conversation I've been holding on to things that we haven't really touched on yet that don't totally make sense or fit quite yet in our timeline. Melissa asked a question about the sort of accountability of someone who's in a professional career who is also speculating and potentially defaming someone on their podcast and whether or not that has ramifications. I don't feel like we're in a place to no. know the answer to that. And we just want everyone to be guided by morality, but that's not really what happens.
2: Yeah. And those are lawyer questions. So so real quick, I'll wrap it up while Zach's continuing to skim through the testimony. I'll just address, there, there was somebody made a post today, uh, this morning, I think that was, that generates a pretty good conversation. They just asked, they were trying to understand why, people are so quick to believe Asia while not believing Jen and and they asked it seemed like they were asking a legitimate like in a very honest way the question like is it be like it seems like it's because Asia is good for Adnan and Jen's bad for Adnan. is that why hmm. and and I and I, I, I answered the question there yeah and it was it was a really good question because it made me think. And I answered the question there, but I just want to lay that out here for that listener who was on Facebook and for any, anybody else.
3: That's a great and, that's, a, that's a great question and a great comparison. It's important to do that stuff and go, where's my bias or is there a bias? I love this.
2: Yeah. And, and the difference for me is one, all Asia, you have to narrow down. What did Asia say? She said, I remember I was in the library and you were there. That's the end of it. There's nothing in evidence to conflict that. Right. So there's not this like thing that's like, oh, wait, no, but we know Adnan was here. I mean, the only thing in the evidence that conflicts anything she said is Jay, right? Other than that, everything fits with, with that story being true. She has told the same story over and over and over again. She has never changed it, she's never given any different versions of it, and nothing conflicts with it. As opposed to Jen, who, Jen, 95% of what Jen told the police, by her own words, her own admission, was simply what Jay told her. That's it. So Jen doesn't necessarily have to be lying about that stuff for it to be incorrect because she's relaying what Jay told her. The only part of that enti- of anything that Jen has ever said that is an experience that she personally experienced were Jay getting the call and leaving the house sometime after 345, possibly even four o'clock, she says in her, in her police interview and her picking Jay up and wiping shovels off. So th- like those these are the elements that we have. So. With Jen, then we go to Jay, who says the pickup happened in a completely different place and there was no wiping off the of shovels that night. So like the only evidence we have that could corroborate Jen, that should corroborate Jen is Jay, right? She's talking about an experience that her and Jay had together. And then she says, yep, I was sitting at the Westview Mall waiting for him. Adnan and Jay pulled up. Adnan got out, said, hey, girl, we talked for a minute. Then Jay got in the car. Jay tells the story. Adnan dropped me off at home. He drove away. I was sitting at home by myself. And then Jen came over and picked me up. All right. So one of them has to be lying. They're they're completely different stories, the two things that they're they're saying that, that happened. So there's legitimate reason, and, and I want to go on and on and on about this. The comparison is there's legitimate reasons not to believe Jen. Also, with Jen, you can take the totality of all of the evidence. You can take Becky's statement and Debbie's statement and Coach size statement. You can do the drive times with the cell tower maps, and you can put all this together and see there's no way that Adnan could have done any of this. They're literally Again, I've been saying this for months now, and no one can still take me up on it. All they want to do is insult me rather than do what I'm asking, which is give me a timeline with the evidence that actually works where Adnan could have even possibly done this, and no one can do it. There isn't a version of that story that exists. So knowing that, then when she's saying, well, Jay said that Adnan killed her that day. He told me on January 13th that happened, you know, when he, when he, when I picked him up that night, I have reason not to believe that because I have evidence that shows that that's not what happened. For me, I just thought I would lay that out, the, the kind of the contrast in a very basic way. There's nothing to contradict Asia's story and she's never changed it, but Jen's story is directly contradicted by Jay. So there's immediately there's a there's a conflict there. So you immediately have problems and then the problems continue to snowball from there. So I thought I would lay that out. And did you be able to find anything in there, Zach?
1: No, I'm still I'll still keep scrolling, but I have not seen anything yet.
2: We'll touch back on it next week. Janet did say that um, she said that was not in both testimonies. So I'm wondering if maybe he said something about it in the first trial, but not the second trial.
1: If a listener sees it, please send it to me. You can send it to me directly and I'll make sure it gets brought up next week.
2: Yep. Do that and then yeah, and we'll and we'll quote that next week. We want to make sure that we get that right. Cause I'm I'm genuinely interested in this too in that too. And then also, like, does he you know, is there any kind of anchor in there, you know, when somebody's recalling a time, as we always say, they're recalling a time from a year before. Is there any kind of anchor or is he just like, yeah, it happened you know, they called me at three thirty? So and anyway, with that, we're gonna leave you guys with that. There will be this Sunday, we're getting into episode seven. On the main feed, we're covering part seven. There, I don't remember what part seven was. I wish I did. Uh, I would tell you, I would give you a heads up on what it is, but I don't remember. And then on the Patreon feed, you guys are getting part twelve coming up on the the Patreon feed on Sunday, and then we will have a follow up next week, and then we'll start our week off after that. So, a lot that being said, thank you guys. Oh, one last little housekeeping note: as Janet mentioned, please when I put up the post on our Facebook group asking for questions for the follow ups, please try not to have conversations on there. Remember, those questions are to be asked here on the show. And Janet has to sort through all of those in order to collect the questions to ask. And, and if people start like commenting back and forth, that just turns into a real mess for her. So pretty pleased.
3: Well, it's hard because I want to include all of that, but then it's just a conversation. So then it's weird because I'm just saying, and then so-and-so said this, well, let's move on because like it's sort of not a question yeah. anymore. Anyway, it's very fascinating conversation stuff though. I just wanted to give people, if people want to know, New stuff covered in part 7 we see topics covered, new revelations from the defense file, the role religion played in the trial, and Alonzo Sellers being cleared as a suspect
2: there we go, that's coming up on Sunday and with that we will let you guys go, thank you guys so much for joining us on the YouTube live, we want to thank all of our patrons, thank you every single one of you that just uh, subscribe and listen every week and participate in these discussions, we really appreciate it, we love you all, we'll talk to you next week
3: thanks everybody,
2: bye guys Justice is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInAsong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com, Design Created, manages and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhinney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kay Wood and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truthandjustice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. It doesn't cost you a penny, and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible. If you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. Can like our Facebook page follow us on Instagram or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters out there you can connect with us on Twitter at Pod. to follow our personal accounts on social media I can be found at Bob Ruff Truth, Janet can be found at Janet Varney and Zach is at Z to the Q. However you do it stay engaged stay in touch but as for now we're signing off I'm Bob Ruff I'm Zach Weaver
3: and I'm Janet Varney
2: and this has been and justice.
3: Gosh, that's fun.
2: It's a good time. That's it's a great. real good time. Uh, Grayson thought I was talking about Henry Winkler. I think, I, I don't know why that, that might've been why that it's name popped It's the only Winkler
3: I can think of, yeah.
2: This is why I could never be an improviser. I couldn't, in mid-sentence, I had to think of a name and I came up with Winkler.
3: Could have been worse, could have said, sorry, Mr. Varney or Mr. Weaver or Mr. Ruff. So, True. Yeah,
2: right. Played. Yeah, could have happened. Hey, let's have Zach start the show. What do you say, guys?
0: Go to Shopify.com slash Audioboom now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Audioboom.
4: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com.
0: It's my little escape.
4: Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
4: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch-ch-chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. we're prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a
3: billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need.